You're listening to the voices behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Hannah, Georgie, Cassie, Mahika and Alex. Coming up on today's podcast, we've got Tamina Hussain. For those of you who don't know, Tamina was instrumental in organising Iftar for the first time at Lord's. But not only that, she is a key figure in the community, particularly in Berkshire, being a director of Get Berkshire Active and Berkshire Cricket Foundation. I mean, the fact you're on Series 5 already is insane. (laughs) Literally insane. Yeah, but we're really thrilled to have you on. So for those of you listening at home, on the way to work, wherever you may be, this episode is with Tamina Hussain. Some of you might not know she's been, you know, plugging away behind the scenes and was vital and pivotal in organising Iftar the first time that law's a very historical and monumental moment so welcome to Mina. Thank you thanks for having me guys. Yeah no worries um so I'm gonna actually hand over to Mahika for the first question so take it away. Thank you so my first question is just for our viewers and our listeners uh, could you please explain to us what is an iftar and what's its importance? Yeah so the iftar is like the breaking of the fast for Muslims around the world um, it's kind of uh, the fast opens around about sunset uh, and it kind of varies from each year depending on you know moon and everything else we call it the moon walls hashtag moon walls so yeah that is breaking off the fast and generally you open it with your friends and family that can be at you know the mosque it can be kind of in a local community center or it can be right at home so that I think every Muslim looks forward to that time and um, what inspired you, made you want to have Iftar at Lords at such an iconic ground? Yeah, so I, I joined um, the ECB back in February 2019, um, one day before Shruti, who's one of your previous guests. So yeah, literally walked into Lords and I thought, blimey, like how awesome would it be to do like an Iftar here at Lords and I, I, you know, never been done before. I was kind of like a, you know, not kind of many Muslims within the organisation. I just thought it would be really cool to kind of teach colleagues about what what iftar is and what Ramadan is. And yeah, like I still can't believe it that we actually pulled it off. And um, while hosting, and how did you feel? Like, was it really surreal for you on the day? And like, what was going through your mind? Yeah, do you know, I was running off adrenaline, um, like just going through the motions of organising the event, you know, like this needs to be done and that person needs to be seen too. And oh my God, like we're running late and behind schedule and all, all the rest of it. And I don't think it really sunk in, like even though when people started walking in, I think even then it, it didn't kind of seem real. And it was only when, um, you know, I sat down at the table and we had a panel um, which featured, you know, England captain, you know, Ed Morgan, Sunrises and Birmingham Phoenix player Abtaha Maksud. And we also had Mazian Rashid from the England, England Disability Squad. And it was when I was watching him, and oh, don't get me wrong, Owen and Abtaha were absolutely wicked. <laughs> but it was when I was watching him and Mazian do the sign language and um, with a kind of the interpreter. And I thought, wow, like, like how how insane is this like for someone like him to be on a mainstream panel at the home of cricket you know I've never seen it before and for me that that really hit home just how powerful it was and I always wanted 
the event to really be about inclusion and about diversity you know I think from the people that we invited to to the panelists to, to everything else that went on it was really about that and I think the second really pivotal moment and I, I kind of genuinely had tears in, in my eyes at in both moments was when the call to prayer was started I realized the magnitude of what we'd actually done at that moment in time and it must be nice to have the England white ball captain, Owen Morgan, there. We've heard him previously talk about how, how diverse the men's white ball team is. We've seen his famous press conference after England won the World Cup, where he talked about Adil Rashid saying Allah is with us and stuff like that. But how pleasing is it to have Owen Morgan support this? Yeah, just, you know, I talk a lot about how actions mean, you know, a lot more than words and actions speak louder than words, right? And so for Owen Morgan to to rock up and really back the event and really speak so passionately and so eloquently about, you know, how they've supported the likes of Moon Ali and Adil Rashid and Sakib, you know, it's it's incredible and it was just an honor to kind of have him there and I spoke to him after the event and again like just really passionate about driving home the message of inclusion and diversity and how important it is that meant a great deal to me personally. I was also wondering uh, did the Azim Rafiq case have any influence on your decision about when to host it or like your sort of emotions going into it? No, do you know, it's funny enough, because um, I think a few people thought that, right? You know, obviously what Azim went through was horrifying. And, you know, his story is needed to be told, right? As much as it was hard to hear, it, we, we needed to hear it. And, you know, whilst, you know, there are some people who think that for me, like I said, when I walked into Lords back in 2019, I knew it's something I wanted to do. And with the Cricket World Cup and the amazing Cricket World Cup, right, it was just impossible to do logistically. I was also new to the organisation, so I didn't feel quite like, you know, I could, you know, do it. But then obviously we, you know, we got hit by COVID. So this was really the first opportunity to kind of hold it. And if I'm honest, you know, I'm glad it was delayed to a certain extent because with everything that's gone on, it felt even more kind of pivotal and monumental uh, as a result. And, you know, I'm so glad that Azim Rafiq was there to be able to be a part of it. And, you know, he, he talked about how, just how special it was and really um, talked about how things were starting to shift. And, you know, and I'm so proud of that, so proud of what we did as a team together. And obviously, this isn't the first instance of racism to ever happen in cricket. How important is it for voices like Azim Rafiq to, to stand up and say this is not OK? Yeah, look, it's, it's hugely important, right? I think we all have a part to play, you know, whether it's kind of you know, supporting victims of abuse or whether you as a, you know, as a victim uh, yourself, you know, speak up and, you know, I can only imagine how tough it would have been for Azim. So it takes a huge amount of courage to be able to speak up, but that's what it needs, right? You know, we need courageous people like him to stand up and tell, tell their story because if it weren't for him, you know, I'm not sure, you know, we kind of, you know, we'd have various action plans and, you know, demanding you know commitments from kind of the county network to to kind of drive change in in that kind of area so yeah huge amount of courage needed and you know fair play to him I think you know there's a lot lot more that needs to be done but it's certainly a turning point for the sport 
so uh, i was wondering so after the iftar was hosted what was the response and do you think more events like this will be held in the future and in more venues as well yeah no i mean the the response has been mind blowing if i'm honest i've been like you know my phone was like buzzing red hot like you know the night off the, you know the for the day after like the weekend after and even the week after but i had no time to kind of process because i started doing like county trustee work and yeah everyone's been positive um you know the fact that hearing the adhan you know in the long room it, and it was only i think 20 years ago where women weren't even allowed into the long room right which seems seems mad but and then to have something like this happen yeah incredible and you know we've had the likes of you know Shreya Malik and you know, Shaheen Shah Afridi and you know, Shahid Afridi all kind of you know send messages of support and even kind of the ambassador I think it was to Mauritius who kind of tweeted support so yeah like absolutely mind-blowing and I actually had an email from an old place of work I worked at a private school and um a parent got in touch and saying that someone in america had seen it and kind of forwarded them kind of the link and then someone else from new zealand had seen it as well so like i mean i mean that's that's insane i i can't lie that's that's insane but yeah i'm so pleased like with the reaction and in terms of like it's kind of set that set the kind of bar really <laughs> um i've got colleagues in ashriti and i think you know some of her team are now organizing a diwali event so yeah definitely like a kind of a groundbreaking moment really and a catalyst for future f- events to happen and i think that's the the thing i kind of put my hand up you know put my hand up and went to Kate Miller our chief comms and diversity officer and said look this is what i want to do and you know i've seen some criticism and i know you shouldn't always read it right but people say well why isn't there a Diwali event or a Vaisakhi event or anything like that but it just needs you to put your hand up and and you know i'm glad i'm glad i did it i'm glad it's kind of kind of set a road or a path for for everyone else to do something and showcase their culture and their faith and i know some people have said that oh you've just done it for the sake of doing it which is completely and utter false what do you say to the haters i mean i i wanted to showcase my faith you know i'm i'm proud to be like a hijab hijab wearing muslim and I wanted to share, you know, my experience, you know, we experience it year on year and like, you know, you always get the comments, right? Or like, you're not even allowed to drink water or like, oh my God, like how, how long for, or is it a whole month or just one day and stuff like that. And so it's really about educating people. And I think, you know, if we're talking about inclusion and diversity and we're talking about racism and, and you know, everything else, if we are to change the cricket landscape, then it's about educating. It's about teaching people and sharing what we are because actually it's only when you sit down together you realise how much more you have in common. And so for me, it's like, you know, haters can hate. Like, I, I know, like, you know, I know why I did it. I wanted to teach people. I wanted to share my practice. And, you know, um, the support that we've received, you know, highlights just how, how much it meant to people and it, it was the right thing to do. I was also wondering, so how did you get into cricket? What sparked this whole interest? And like, how come you uh, chose to join the ECB at the end? 
Oh, so I, I've always loved cricket, like, you know, India, Pakistan, you know, in our family, right? Uh, cricket World Cup, Champions Trophy, you name it. It's always a massive thing. It's like a like a Miller type, you know, you know, event. But I never really played it. And I played it in school now and again, but like, I never really took it seriously. And then I say to like friends or people that kind of hit like a, you know, flicked on a light switch when I turned 18 whereby you know I turned into this rebel you know I'd you know my like my parents were quite traditional and they still are and you know I wasn't really allowed to play sport and it wasn't the thing to be done right and so at 18 flipped a switch and I was like right I don't care anymore I am I love sport you know football cricket basketball not netball sorry guys but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um uh yeah like and that's kind of how I got into it and I started facilitating sport for local women local Asian women in particular and then I got a funny story like I so I was organizing netball for for local women and I got drafted into training one night and I was I was goalkeeper like the shortest person there like goalkeeper like come on and um, I was like oh man what am I doing I'm thinking to myself like I hate this and I kid you not like I literally thankfully I was playing with some friends right literally ran out called up you know my you know cricket club chairman Tony Drake who sadly passed away not long ago but called him up and I said Tony like this is what I want to do and and he he backed it you know to his credit he backed it and it kind of just flowed so I think it was 2013 2014 where you know we set up a session you know John Stewart you know the the coach like we brought women in and that's kind of how it kind of spiraled and so yeah, like ever ever since I've been involved in cricket, and then the ECB job, like I'm an IT manager for the ECB, and always you know kept on looking. Of course, it's a dream place to work, and just randomly saw saw the role posted and went for it. And I didn't hear for I didn't hear back for a while, and I was absolutely gutted because I was like, oh man, I haven't got it. Like gutted. And then actually, you know, I did hear back, and you know, the rest is history. And I think what you said at the beginning about how you sort of rebelled at 18 and you just loved sport and you had such enthusiasm for it. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people because we've had former guests come on like Naomi Datani say she started playing at 10 and playing with boys. So your story resonates with a lot of people. And I think it's just a great thing to see how much you've been able to implement since 2011 and, you know, setting up a ladies team in 2013. It's inspiring. Yeah, no, thank you. And I think my only regret is that, no, I didn't do it soon. I didn't rebel (laughs) earlier enough. But yeah, like I was a completely different person back then. I'm so grateful, you know, the experience that have shaped me. Um, and like, like I said at 18, you know, flipping that switch and becoming a rebel. And I'm not sure that's always a good thing, but certainly when it comes to, you know, sport and navigating, the, you know, the sport arena and facilitating and playing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that that's kind of been a chapter in my life. And I think you're also helping to change the narrative that you know there's this conception or this ideology you know as Asian women we must you know must become doctors we must become teachers we must become this and that and the world and the landscape is changing like I have a degree in journalism you're an IT manager Mahika's going into sports marketing like there's so much more opportunity and I think people get stuck behind these ideals that people have to act a certain way so when we see 
and hear about people like you doing all this amazing work to help make sport not just cricket but sport more diverse and fair how can we not champion it yeah you know it's so true right you can't be who you can't who you don't see right and you know as a result of like you know kind of putting one step forward or a couple of steps forward and you know playing and you know behind my local cricket club and you know I've built you know a relationship with my old you know secondary school and then we started working with the county sports partnership about taking school cricket into schools and you know different places and thankfully like you know the local paper supported me in that but as a result you know I've certainly seen a lot you know a lot more kind of Asian you know mums and you know come up to me and say oh you know I'd love to get my daughter involved and you know when can we join and you know things like that and I think that's really like that kind of like makes my heart kind of burst with pride because that's what it's about right it's kind of you know I'm not I don't see myself as a role model but you know the fact that they can come up to me and say we want our daughter to play cricket like that's that's something special and when when I was growing up I didn't have that so to be able to kind of play that small part in their journey to get them into kind of you know the kind of door into the sport yeah that's that's such a crucial moment I was also wondering like what impact have players like Abta Maksud had on other hijab wearing girls who want to pursue cricket and has she had any impact on you and your experience as well? Yeah, you know, Abdahar, like, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, she was at the Iftar and, like, spoke so well. And, you know, first, you know, Muslim hijab-wearing player, you know, for, for you know, Birmingham Phoenix. Like, incredible achievement. And, you know, we certainly need more like her. And, and I don't think she, you know, will be the last either. In, in terms of, you know, how she's impacted me, like, incredible person to, like, talk to. And, you know, I mean, I wish she was around when, when I was younger. <laughs> But um, yeah, like we we definitely need people like her to to be at the forefront. People need to see visually role models, and I think we we lack that sometimes. And so for her to be kind of at the forefront, you know, of the Birmingham Phoenix you know, campaign, for her to be going out and talk to young you know young kids and kind of doing all sorts of things with the community, yeah, absolutely vital, and we we need more of it. So you obviously kind of started this off, shall we say. And then so it must be nice to see that the ECB uh, were committed to getting more South Asians into cricket. And then they created the uh, dream big Desi women. So how pleasing is it for you to kind of see it, perhaps not from the beginning, but during your time at the ECB? Yeah, like I mean, Shruti um, joined a day after and then I think her team joined a week later, right? So like to see the impact they've had has been incredible, like taking it into temples, mosques, you know, gurdwaras is it, on, honestly like, you know, phenomenal. Um, and, you know, we certainly needed it, you know, back then I don't think it was, a, you know, priority in other sports, but I think they've really demonstrated what it's like to lead from the front. And you certainly see other governing bodies kind of following suit. So, yeah, they, they've been absolutely inspirational in kind of taking, you know, cricket to the grassroots and I think accommodating what, you know, Asian women need. And I think that's really been a groundbreaker. And now we talk about like kit, for example, it's like, well, have you got a hijab for, you know, for for food for certain you know women or have you got like longer tops and that's kind of the stuff we wouldn't have spoken about before um so yeah definitely like incredible program incredible impact um and you know i really hope they kind of continue with that 
Yeah, I was just going to ask that because it was only for four years. Would you like to see it extended or funded some other way, perhaps? Yeah, I think with all the progress that's been made and all the kind of the, you know, normal numbers that have come out of it, you know, it'd be wrong to end it now, particularly at a time where we need to kind of increase numbers. We need to cricket to become more diverse. So to kind of terminate it now would would be, you know, uh, would be the wrong thing to do. But it, you know, certainly can take a different format. So, you know, it may not be, you know, dream big, Desi women, it may, you know, be in another format. And as long as, you know, we've got programs that are kind of tailored towards kind of that demographic then you know then yeah it's needed it'll be backed i was wondering have you been involved with saka and do you think it's gonna like sort of like grow in its operations and maybe be available in more cities as well I so I I'm an IT manager so my job is like completely away from like the front facing work that Shriti and her team do but that said like no, my own patch where I live in Berkshire, like I will always try to encourage women to kind of play sport and get women trying new things. And it's something I've always done. And it's something, it's why I joined, you know, the Berkshire Cricket Foundation as a trustee. I wanted to make sure that, you know, they there was kind of some input and some support for them. And, you know, thankfully, you know, our kind of mantra is really about let's do the right thing for the right reasons, you know. And we don't want funding or anything like that to get in the way of things. So it's for us, it's about doing the right thing. And that's why I kind of joined them. And you know, and I will continue to do what I can locally. And if I can take it bigger, great. If not, then, you know, it is what it is. If, if some, you know, girl, you know, or some woman, you know, joins cricket and they go on to become like the new, you know, next Abdaha, then, you know, job done, really. That's what it's about. And it must be so nice for you to see now with the regional teams and the regional contracts, there is that South Asian diversity coming through. You've got Naomi Datani and Abdahar at Sunrisers. You've got Anisha Patel at Central Sparks. So it must be nice to kind of see these South Asian players sort of come through, considering the England women's team have only ever had two women of South Asian descent play for them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's what it's about. I think a lot more counties are seeing that actually there's a huge amount of talent in kind of the South Asian community and, you know, it's not previously been tapped into. And so for that to kind of, you know, be being shown in the county setup and then obviously translating into kind of, you know, central contracts, um, yeah, a huge amount of progress. And whilst, you know, this is not going to, change is not going to happen overnight, you know, we're not going to get like a whole squad off, you know, you know, South Asian women in, in England women, but it's a step towards that goal and, it, you know, step in the right direction and everything we can do from a county point of view, yeah, and it needs to be done and needs to be taken. Obviously, South Asians and all the progress we're doing is making such a dent and the work is so pivotal. So it must, it must be disheartening when comments from this from the chairman of Middlesex come out and say, oh, you know, minorities, they don't they don't get picked because, for instance, I think he said black cricketers veer more towards football and the flashy lifestyle. And, you know, South Asians veer more towards education, and academics which isn't true. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. 
Yeah, I mean, everyone is stereotyped in somewhere or another. And, you know, I've talked at length about, you know, with former, like an Aussie boss and everyone is put into boxes, but, you know, that's not how it should be. And everyone kind of, we don't all fit into that. And, you know, whilst, you know, the, the comments were really disappointing, you know, I suppose there was an opportunity there now to kind of teach and kind of re-educate and I think I'm not a fan of like council culture and I'm not a fan of like you know sacking people or you know doing kind of going down that route for me it's really about right okay this is what's happened what can we do to change the narrative what can we do to re-educate and re-teach and relearn that's what it's about because I think if you if you go down the cancel culture route, uh, by the way, I actually hate that term. But if you go down that route, I think you're more likely to do a disservice. And I think it's really about taking people on a journey um, with you and kind of making creating space where people can be open and where people can talk can, without the fear of repercussion. I think that's when we will make progress. From my experience, the reason why I didn't really pursue sport further than I did at school level wasn't because I wasn't good at it. It was because it was very much the same, same people got picked for every sport. Yeah. And so there was no point in me putting in loads of effort to not be picked. And I think that's perhaps for some people, and I think quite a few people may resonate with that it's not that they're not good enough it's that opportunities are so scarce and so sparse that they don't really have anything else to do than to turn their back on sport and it can be really disheartening to see you know you you slog your guts out you work incredibly hard and then for you to not be recognized for that it's just it's heartbreaking yeah, I mean, we're sidetracking a little, but, you know, I, I used to work for a company called Creative Development and, you know, they kind of did a lot of uh, work with PE teachers. And, you know, it was one of the first, I think my first day was going to see a session, right, with them, them delivering a session to PE teachers. And, you know, you, the, the question was asked to all these teachers, right, PE teachers, it was uh, the question was asked, uh, what was your memory of PE? And it was like, you know, not being picked or like, you know, being criticised for, you know, how we looked or whatever, you know, running around in circles and, you know, never chosen for anything. And it was like, well, hold on, why are we running around in circles when actually what's bar athletics what sport do you run around in circles in or like you know what you know childhood experiences and those childhood experiences shape our perception of sport growing up and so until we kind of tap into that grassroots and they are doing absolute brilliant work unless we change that at kind of you know school level and I think you see it more happening now like I go to the gym and you've got like young girls who are you know want to kind of be strong and it's not about how how you look it's about being strong strong and being the best we can and you know I think the more we kind of get that out in the kind of uh, the domain you know the better but yeah certainly I think school has a massive part to play we, we need to change the narrative around not everyone is best placed right we've all got our you know strong abilities and we just need to be given the opportunity so I feel I feel for you I really do I was also wondering like when you went through your rubble phase like how did your parents react to it and if they weren't okay with it how did you deal with that and like still continue do you want the true answer or the diplomatic answer answer. (laughs) 
um do you know it's it's really tricky because you know my my parents are traditional and my family's quite traditional and you know there's again you know we talk about stereotypes that you know that they have a vision of you know what one should do and what one should look like and it's really hard like it still is like you know I'm in my 30s now and like I go off admittedly I don't play much cricket because of you know the work I do at the ECB but like when I go off it's like surely you know like you should be taking a back seat now or like you know surely like you should kind of give up your sporty phase and it's like nah sport is in my blood like I'm never gonna give it up and it is hard you, you know you have to push through the barriers you know I've had you know certain people make remarks about why I'm why am I in sport and why am I doing certain things but yeah you, you've got to build a certain amount of resilience and I think when I talk to young girls you know I kind of say to them look if it's something that you're really passionate about then you know push for it like eventually you know your parents will come around and you know it may just need one or two things it may need a conversation with them and I certainly make an effort when I was leading you know women's and girls cricket at my local club you know I made an effort to talk to parents and, you know, have conversations with them. And I know if there were kind of travel difficulties or, you know, logistic issues, then I would do everything in my power to to kind of resolve that. And obviously, you know, when it comes to the women's team, again, I don't want anyone. I never wanted anyone to miss out playing a match because they couldn't get there. And so even if it took me, you know, tick out an an extra hour of my day or whatever it was, I'd go and do it because bottom line is I want women to be playing cricket. I want girls to be playing cricket. And, you know, I always look back to like the, the Sir Mo Farah story without his teacher, you know, Alan Watkinson, like, you know, he, he wouldn't be the legend he is today. And I kind of always try and refer back to that and kind of use that as a driving force to, to support as many women and girls as I can. I was wondering uh, in your experience, what is the biggest barrier for girls like, to play cricket? Um, I think, you know, I mean, there's still a element of cultural, you know, education is still prioritised, right? You know, some people don't see the benefit of sport. I also think that sometimes cricket can be quite expensive. And therefore, that's another another thing that I used to do. Like if people wanted to play cricket, like if you couldn't afford it, then, you know, your, your money didn't matter to me. As long as you were coming in week in, week out to play, then it is what it is is like I, I want cricket to be accessible and I think you know that things like locations are quite key there are some parents who work hard and late at night and uh, you know it's tricky for them to get there on a Sunday morning and we talk about that within our county is that well what can we time things better you know what what is it that we can do to kind of get kids to you know the kind of heart of Berkshire to training like things like that you know logistics you know the operational kind of stuff and then that's kind of the things that really prevents people and you know finance is always a big factor you know particularly now and you know I really hope that it really doesn't stop people and I hope we can do everything we can to mitigate the impact of you know not going to cricket. I wanted to shift it slightly and I read somewhere that you actually got to work on the World Cup at home in England. I just wanted to know what it was like for you to work on the World Cup and for it to be at home. What were your experiences like? So, yeah, incredible. Like, I, So I joined in February 2019, joined the ECB in February 2019. And I was like, I went to the boss and I was like, mate, like cricket fan, working at the ECB, like, can I please work on the 
Cricket World Cup? And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And and then I went to the relevant people within the Cricket World Cup and I was like, right, you know, what can I do? Like, even if it's just one match. And they gave me two. So I was kind of shadowing someone and kind of did two matches at the Oval. And I was like, right, okay, like loving the hype, loving the buzz. You know, I don't care if I'm there at the Oval at five in the morning, haven't been up since about 3 a.m., like, you know to work work there and then it turned out that I ended up like going to kind of quite a few places so I ended up down in Southampton I remember being in Southampton like Thursday evening Wednesday evening Thursday evening getting a phone call Thursday night saying oh can you be in Manchester for Saturday morning for India and Pakistan and I was like yeah of course it was just insane like so as a cricket fan, you know, as a as, as an employee at the ECB, I mean, I would have been devastated if I didn't ask. But in terms of what, what I did is really about, you know, sorting out any technical issues, you know, helping the likes of the BBC and Sky Sports and Star Sports and kind of managing kind of the relationships between them and you know, speaking to the venue and making sure everything was OK from a tech point of view. Um, do I regret, you know, anything? Yeah, definitely not. I don't regret the lack of sleep, you know, memorable experience. And honestly, it's one of the best things I've ever, you know, worked on and definitely a career highlight. And the people that you meet, like the interactions with fans was incredible. Like you go to like, a, it's so funny. So you go to like an England, you know, New Zealand match. But um, you go to one and it, the atmosphere is very sedate and you go to like a Bangladesh v India match and it's just off the charts. It's wild, like no drinking involved. You know, everyone's got like their hooters going, like everyone's, you know, dancing. It's, it's insane and there's definitely a noticeable difference. But yeah, like interacting to people, talking to kids, like kids were buzzing to meet like their heroes and see their heroes. And yeah, it, it was... I love that part of the job. I love talking to people. And even at Lords the other day, like this kid, he was like, I was talking to him about his favorite player and like who he played for and, you know, how it was his first match at Lords. And he was just buzzing. And you, you see that excitement. Like, honestly, like I've got two nephews and to see, to see them buzzing like that, the excitement that they give you is, is incredible. I also saw a picture of you meeting Sachin Tendulkar. Was that at the World Cup or was that something completely different? No, no. So it was during the World Cup. So he was actually at Lords, And so he was like in the, I just happened to be in the office that day. And yeah, like he was in the indoor school, in the nets. And um, I was like, mate, like Sachin Tendulkar, like, I mean, if I don't ask, I'm going to regret it big time. So, and I don't often, I honestly don't do that. Like I've seen, you know, now in my job, like, you know, I was talking to like Rob Key the other day and like Brendan McCullum the other day. And like, you know, honestly, it's my, like, these are players that I grew up watching and like, you know, Michael Atherton, Nasser Hussein, like I see all these people, but I wouldn't ever like dream of like, asking them just because I feel like like I'm in a professional setting like I've got a job to do and that's that's about it and you, you kind of do have to zone out a little and particularly as a cricket fan as well but yeah Sachin came and I was like yeah there's no way <laughs> 
even like all oh, during the hundred when I met the likes of like Harman Preet Kaur and Kate Cross, I remember like on the way to Manchester, like, I'm uh, I'm in Edinburgh currently. I was just praying that I don't start stammering or I don't act like a complete like fan girl or like pass out or something. So when I was able to get my first like hello out without a stammer, I was like, thank God, like I've been embarrassed myself. Yeah, honestly, it's insane, right? Like Claire Connor, like an England legend, you know, just become interim CEO of ECB. Um, like when I first met her, I was like, man, this is bonkers. Like this is someone I grew up watching and, you know, like seeing her in the office like daily now and like just having like a conversation with her. I was like, mate, this at first it was just like, what the hell is going on here? And but now, you know, obviously I've got to know Claire and she's the most loveliest person that you can meet. And like, honestly, such a such a role model. And obviously, you know, was or is still a you know MCC president and you know what an achievement that is and such an inspiration but like you know being trustee at Berkshire like Claire Taylor is a fellow trustee and honestly the first time I you know walked in I was like oh my god this is this is mad like I didn't know like you I was like oh my god I hope I don't say anything silly or stupid or whatever but actually she's really really cool and really down to earth and like I walk into Lords and I always see like her picture up on the on the kind of stadium, you know, boundary. And I, I I'm like, oh my God, like I, I work with that woman. Like, but like it's completely it's a complete contrast to actually talking to her. And yeah, she she's wicked as well. So it, it's mad really, but yeah, I hope I don't I hope I've not said anything silly and I hope I don't in the future. No, I don't think you have. I just love the fact you name dropped um, two of our former podcast guests. And just on uh, Claire Connor, she is getting her portrait at Lord soon. I'm not sure when, but it is coming. So we should all be excited and be on the lookout for that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible, like what Claire Connor has done, this England female icon to, you know, leading, you know, becoming MD of women's cricket and then going on to become, you know, like MCC president. Like that's to think that women could only get into Lords or walk into the, you know, pavilion, what, 20 years ago for then to, for her to become president. That's, that's groundbreaking and that's breaking, you know, a glass ceiling and, you know, has really kind of set the the tone for, for set the path for everyone else. And, you know, no one more deserving of, you know, of that role and can't wait to see, you know, what her portrait looks like. Beautiful as, you know, as ever, I imagine. And um, I'm not sure how involved you were with the 100, but how important do you think it's been for the women's game and getting women's cricket out there? Oh, incredible. Like, you know, I, I went to a couple of the women's uh, 100 games and the atmosphere, like incredible, like seeing so many families and seeing so many kids, particularly young girls, you know, at the kind of watching these, you know, amazing um, players, uh, you know, the likes of Kate Cross, you know, in- incredible. And, you know, Naomi and Abdahar, like they, they've done wonders for the game. And I think if you look at all the stats, like prolific you know and I think there's a report recently that the 100 has really kind of driven up um the interest in kind of women's sport and you know it's I'm so glad that kind of they went down the double header route and, you know you see that families enjoying it you see 
you definitely saw more girls kind of getting into cricket as a result. And I think the the women, um, you know, whatever team they're from, right, they have a much closer bond and connection to their fans. And you see that kind of whole, you know, connection with them. And, you know, I know Kate Cross, you know, and Tammy Baymont, you know, they all kind of publicise it quite a bit. And you see all these amazing pictures of like just girls in awe of them. And I think that's what we need more of. But yeah, like 100%, you know, agree that the the 100, the women's 100 has been phenomenal for the for the women's game. And quickly, just to end before we do some fun questions, obviously 2021 was a landmark year, was a groundbreaking year for women's sport. What more do you think needs to be done or what do you think needs to be done in terms of it just being the norm? I think certainly the way we are going with media coverage um, has a pivotal role in the way that the women's sport is seen. And I think we're already seeing that. We're seeing you know, more and more women's sport you know, on, on our TVs. And I think we definitely need to kind of go on that upward you know, trajectory. And I think once you see more women's sport on TV, that's when it starts becoming the norm. You know, the more we talk about women's sport, you know, the more we see it on, you know, the BBC sport front pages and, you know, the Times and, you know, whatever channel that you can think of, that's when it starts to become the norm. And, you know, until that happens, you know, until the likes of, you know, the Women's 100 happen, you know, we'll see it, we'll see it increase, you know, twofold and, I think that's where the Women's Centre has been really instrumental. We've seen, you know, huge change in the sport already and across the, the sporting landscape. Um, so, yeah, I think we need more media coverage. We need more investment. And then once you, it's, it's kind of a catch-22, you get more coverage, you know, you, the view numbers go up, then you see more investment. But actually, you need that initial investment to go in so that everything else kind of goes up. So investment and media coverage, I think, will be um, pivotal. And I think we're already starting to see that. That's a lovely way to end the serious stuff, I should say. So, Tamina, we like to end our podcasts um, with some fun questions, you know. Don't worry if you struggle. Great Charlotte Edwards has struggled on this, so it's completely... So, one we like to start off with is, if you were at a standard village cricket team, what would be your go-to item? Go-to item? Bunny buddy. I was not expecting that. No. Um, I love bunny buddy. Another one is what's your favorite sledge that you have heard? Oh my god. I can't remember any of them, but my friend Amna, Ahmed, you know, big up Amna, she she is the biggest sledger on uh honestly, like she's the only person that you can hear on the pitch whenever you play with her, <laughs> and she comes out with some crackers trying to see what um yeah, can't, I can't I can't remember. But she honestly, she comes out with some brilliant ones and you just end up laughing and not concentrating on the game. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to come back to you on that one. Oh, so do you like uh, Indian slash Pakistani food more or English food more? Oh man, that's such a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> I love both. And in the summer, I'm kind of on the road quite a bit with, with the cricket season. And there are, so I'll all have, you know, I'll have English food and, you know, pastas and pizzas and veggie burgers. But I definitely have a craving of South Asian food, whereby I have to Google 
where the nearest decent like South Asian food places and mm. and then sometimes like coming home and I can't just I can't wait to eat roti honestly roti <laughs> and curry like honestly like oh yeah hits the spot definitely has there been any show that you've been that, that you've been binging lately on Netflix or something I'm trying to get through Grey's Anatomy and I think it's series 17 it's the covid season but if i'm honest it takes me about three days to finish off one episode so uh yeah i might be there a while actually Um, (laughs) yeah i'm I'm really bad i'm I'm really bad i suppose you've only got such limited time with all the busy work you're doing yeah no it's um do you know what You, you hit your 30s and honestly you feel like don't feel like doing anything like going out is no longer an option and I made the mistake of going out on Wednesday night the day before the Lord's test started Mm-hmm. And I got about four hours sleep. And I swear to you, I feel like I still need to sleep to recover from it. So um, binge watching is um, a rare, a rare thing. <laughs> yeah, Grey's Anatomy is not even a binge watch if it takes three days to finish off one episode. <laughs> I mean, if you are desperate, desperate for sleep, maybe put on Bridgerton or something. I hear it is it works wonders for putting people to sleep. Do you know what? That's probably a good shout. Dramas like that, and I, I know this is going to upset a lot of people, but I really don't like stuff like that. Like Game of Thrones, like people talk about it, like it's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, nah, not for me. And no, Breaking Bad, like, yeah, I did like four episodes and it was so slow that I was like, I'm, yeah, I can't even fall asleep to this one. I tell you where I do fall asleep, going to the cinema. It's becoming a more and more common thing, like going to the cinema and falling asleep during a film, honestly. I'm definitely not in my 30s. That's so funny. What has been your favourite ground to visit in England? Oh, good question. I mean, Lords obviously has its place. I think the liveliest I've been to is Edgebaston. I'd love to go to Taunton. And I'm actually, I'd love to go to Durham, which I am finally going to this year. But yeah, I think Edgebaston has certainly been like the the loudest and like, yeah, there's been a total laugh. So, yeah. And which ground do you think serves the best food, like in, in the dressing room? Because I really want to know. <laughs> which ground? Yeah. Oh, so I've been, so I had this conversation the other day. So Lord's yes. food is, is amazing. Obviously. However, I have been told that Edgebaston trumps the lot. So I don't get to work on the Edgebaston games because uh, I have a colleague who is based out there. Um, but I feel like I need to, you know, tell him to take leave or something so I can go there just to taste the food. Because honestly, everyone, everyone I've spoken to tells me it's, it's incredible. So I feel like I'm missing out here. To be fair, I think from working 100, the best grounds that had the best food were Lord's Edgebaston. Yeah, I, f- I feel like so the UCB have something called CPA standards for counties. Okay. I feel like there needs to be some kind of food standards for counties as oh, well. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think for me, Headingley had the best food and the Oval, personally. You don't like Headingley? They had such an amazing of like fish item that they served. Like, it was so good. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I um I always need to have a big breakfast and <laughs> definitely a massive dinner um because yeah we well, you you and I end up doing like twenty thousand steps a day when I'm yeah. working on you know on venue so like what is off it doesn't hit the spot doesn't even touch the sides I guess. so I I have to supplement everything 
whether it's good, whether it's bad, you know, always. Um, although that's not good for the waistline, so we won't go there. <laughs> Last book you read? I haven't read a book in months, if I'm honest, because work is crazy, right? Book read, books read. Um, I have a whole kind of wish list. And I, I made a commitment to myself I would get through like a book a month. But yeah, no, it's not it's not happened. Um, I read The Khan by Simon Mir. Mm-hmm. So it's a fiction book about um this powerful kind of female mogul at the helm of a criminal empire. Mm. So um yeah, like a book that I couldn't put down honestly it's that yeah. good so yeah that's good but actually I yeah the, like I don't really read that much fiction I kind of like knowing about history and yeah. you know real life kind of stories favorite genre of music I listen to a lot of Indian Indian music I, for some strange reason and don't ask me why um I love listening to Indian wedding music Ooh. um yeah I, I just love the old classics so I they kind of come on quite regularly can you give us any names any uh, of the songs oh of uh the the wedding classic yeah. obviously yeah. um you know like honestly, oh, yeah. is, like honestly I listen I tell you what I love the Mendy songs okay oh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's insane, right? So do you like Bollywood movies more as well than or not really? <laughs> so the, the the funny thing is, I don't actually watch Bollywood films. Okay. I just listen to some of the music. I've yeah, I've like I've not even watched you know things like Kuch Kuch Hota Hai or like yeah, but I I can listen to the music, like, which is yeah. My first film was Kabi Hushi Kabi Gum, and we were like in primary school. And it was, you know, when it first came out, like back then, like showing my age here, but we had like cassette tapes, you know, VHS tapes. And we had one that was literally doing the rounds, like around the neighborhood. And we got given ours. And I kid you not, I literally ran downstairs around about 6.30 a.m. to go and watch it. It was such a such a big thing. My my fam like my family and my parents didn't really watch it, so it's something that we've not really watched. And but yeah, listen to the music, love the music. <laughs> I think that's a good place um to stop. Thank you so much for coming on and being a guest, Tamina. Just quickly, where can our listeners find you on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, if they just want to follow your journey and see all the great work you're doing? Yeah, so on Twitter at Tamina Hussein, T A M for mother, double E N A Hussein, um, H U S S A I N. Instagram is the same, but if I'm honest, I'm really, really bad at Instagram. I have to take lessons from my friends. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, good luck if you're following me. Massive thank you to Tamina for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. It was really interesting to hear her thoughts and to hear how passionate she is about diversifying cricket and, you know, just hearing about all the fun stuff she's been able to implement, not just in the cricket community, but at the ECB as well. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat 
on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at Hannity1194, at GeorgiaHeath27, at Cassie Coombs98, at Mihika Barshney, and I'm at Alex Jane Forever. This has been the Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time.